0: You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short and formal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. This week, we've got a bonus episode for you. Last week, I had a little mishap with my computer, and we got a little backed up in the editing, but we're back in action now. So this conversation between Brett and Andy actually happened last week and it's centered around 2 Samuel 6, 1-16, through 16, which was the text from February 12th's liturgy. If you didn't get the chance to catch that sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so you can pick up with us where that sermon left off. Well, good morning, Brett. Good morning. Hey, it was it's a great morning. I feel like a champion this morning. What's Can, that? The Kansas City Chiefs are oh, Super Bowl play, champions.
1: Did you play
0: last night? You know, it was a childhood dream to play <laughs> in the NFL. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, My wife would hate that tr- I asked true that. True story. I, I've, been a, I've been a Chiefs fan. I get asked this a lot. Like, am I just a uh-huh. fair weather fan who jumped on the bandwagon? No. The answer is no. I've been a Chiefs fan since I was six years old. Uh-huh. It started with Tecmo Super Bowl. Christian Okoye had 99 hitting power on that game. Okay. And so I fell in love with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I've been cheering for the Chiefs my whole life, and it's a really good season to be a Chiefs fan.
1: I mean, this feels a little bit like you're trying to justify yourself, and I just want you to know you don't have to justify Hey, listen. You're free to listen. follow the Chiefs I'm just saying, justify yourself. I'm just saying
0: I feel like a champion this morning.
1: <laughs> well, congratulations.
0: <laughs> well, uh. We're going to dive in this morning to a, a deep talk topic. Yesterday morning, uh, Brett, you preached on the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. We looked at Second Samuel chapter six. A really fascinating yeah. chapter of Scripture, and so we're going to take uh, a dive this morning, just kind of following up on that topic and, and digging into to some of the the nuances of of this text, and just. Uh, this topic of holiness and so i thought it'd be helpful um to maybe start with just a workable definition of holiness you really themed your sermon yesterday around um, god's holiness right. um it might be helpful to to take a step back and to go hey what what is holiness right. can we work toward a definition of the holiness of god
1: yeah yeah no and 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 honestly i think in some ways it's it's a difficult thing to define. Um, You know, there's, there's been lots of approaches to it as I was studying over the last couple of weeks. You know, one is to run straight to like it's, it's, it's God's absolute moral purity, right? His, his perfect purity, his complete goodness in him. There's no darkness at all. And And there's reality there, right? That part of that is, is definitely part of what it means that he's holy. The other part that gets, that gets teased out a lot is this idea that, you know, Holy scripturally means set apart these objects, like even the object, like the ark we're talking about, right? The objects in the tabernacle were set apart for a holy purpose. They were not common. Like, you know, a bowl used in the tabernacle was different than a bowl you used in your house or right. your tent, right? And so there's this idea that God is really set apart from who we are, from his creatures as creator. He is different than the creatures, right?
0: He's a creator, creation, distinction. Right. Yep. Right. So other, there's holy other.
1: Yeah. Th- like one of the things I often say is he's completely other. Like he, in some, you know, we can talk about this more in a moment maybe, but in some ways, often I think we try to conceive of God as just, well, I, you know, I try to be loving, you know, he's probably just more loving than I am. Or I try to, you know, be fair and good, but he's probably just more good than I am. And, and, and what scripture is saying, no, he's, He's good in a different way, completely than you. In are. In a whole different category. Yeah. So it 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 does, you know. I think you and I have been talking about it a little bit. It does speak to his transcendence in some ways, um, and and that's why I try to get our eyes up a little bit there, as we speak, uh, as, as we started yesterday. And, and the reality is, it's a sum. It, it, it's a sum of 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 all his parts, like of all his characteristics that what is that are what make him holy.
0: Or maybe maybe another way to say that is like God's holiness is true of all of his attributes because right, we right. don't want to divide God into parts sure, because sure. we, you know, we assent to this idea that he's indivisible. Yeah. Um, but I had a professor, shout out to Peter Gentry, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a preeminent Hebrew scholar, and he he nuanced this idea of holiness a little bit and said that the primary idea is, is devotedness, yeah. which I think is new for for some people, but it's really a positive way of, of speaking to God's set apartness Yeah, that God is devoted to himself and to his name and to all that he is. And you, you, you pick that up in the scriptures, you know, even with God's self-revelation that I am, that I am, that he is the eternally present one, that there's a devotedness Mm -hmm. by God to God and all that he is. Um, And so that another way of saying that is he's unchanging, Mm -hmm. he's unwavering. Um, and so that invitation, even to us, to be holy as He is holy, as He's saying, "Be devoted to My name, the yeah. way I am devoted to My name, and to all, all that I am." Yeah. Um, but yeah, it can be tricky to try to it's to come around a, a workable definition of holiness. But I think it's important, sure, um, that we start there, uh, lest we. You know, make a false assumption, or yeah, you know, we can get off track uh, quickly if if we don't start with some sort of a clarification. That's helpful. Um, So, you know, we we encounter the holiness of God in this text, Mm -hmm. and initially, it's it's this you know stunning incident where this guy named Uzzah is helping haul the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem the city of David and the ark is on a cart yeah and it starts to slip and he reaches his hand out to stabilize the ark and when he touches the ark he's he's yeah. consumed he falls dead next to the ark and and it says in the text it says David was angry because the lord's outburst against Uzzah so he named that place outburst against us, or, you know, you jokingly said it's a really practical name, uh, but this language of outburst can make God sound capricious, mm-hmm. like it was this reactive moment. Um, is God capricious? Like, help help us try to make sense of what's going on in this incident. Yeah.
1: No, and and I understand that that response. I mean, I was even with my city group watching the Super Bowl last night and one one uh, of, of the ladies in our group was like, Man, when when Tim March read the text before the sermon, I was like, Oh, this is not gonna be good <laughs> <This sermon. laughs> So we hear this and we go like, well, What do we do with this? And and that's real. And um, you know, this even the idea of outburst uh, makes it sound like this. But I think what we have here is the reality that Perfect holiness and sin can't go together, um, and and for even God to be a just God, uh, sin has to be. Uh, if if there's any a time where God stops reacting to sin, stops stops, um, you know, outbursting against sin in some ways, uh, then He's no longer a just God because because uh, sin has to be dealt with. And the reality that I said yesterday, which I think is true, and I think it, the the text and even the previous text speak to is God had been perfectly clear about how he was to be dealt with, how these objects were be, to be handled in the ark. And, and he literally said several times, hey, don't do this or you'll die. Right. Don't come near it right. or you'll die. Don't touch it or you'll die. And, and I, I know there might be someone listening, and, and Emily, and my wife and I, even talked about this yesterday. Like, you might go, well, but, but, but he was, it wasn't even like conscious. It was like reacting. Like, he was just trying to be helpful. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to be uh, malicious by touching the ark. And, 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 and I get that. That's real. But still, I think it's because in our modern minds and hearts, we have a small view of sin. And a small view of God's holiness. Yeah, and the reality is, uh, th- the problem of the universe and the problem of the Bible, in some ways, is that a perfectly holy God cannot be in relationship with and in the presence of sin and sinful people. And and this is what happens when those two things meet. And I, I brought up. Someone said it was helpful. I mean, you can you can uh, clarify if you think it's heresy or not. But I brought up this this illustration of the sun yesterday the reality that yeah. like if someone gets too close to the sun they're going to die they're right. going to perish and it's not because the sun's just being mean or angry it's because the sun's being the sun and that person was not right right and i think that's some of what we see happening here when when sin meets the perfect holiness of god what happens not right. not just because he's outbursting capriciously i want to smite this person but because my holiness god's perfection must um must always deal with sin, must always react to sin, must always be against sin for me to be a just and holy God.
0: Yeah. It's who he is. And so I do think it's important to, to highlight the fact that this is not God being vindictive. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, God reveals himself to his people as slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, like, we we see that over and over and over again in the scriptures that God is not quick tempered, um, God is God is not reactive, right. um, and yet you know as God reveals Himself to Moses, it does go on to say that He will not leave the guilty unpunished. Right. And I think part of what we struggle with in this passage is Asa was guilty, mm-hmm. um, and so this isn't God, yeah, being emotional. This is God's holiness being displayed. Um, and so that leads me to this question of how is the holiness of God good news? Right. How is it a good thing that God is holy? Right.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I think one of the first things I run to is it's good because it tells us uh, there is something outside of ourselves, our human uh, human efforts, our human reasoning, um, that is actually directing the 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 universe, the plan of the universe, towards an end that is good, and and that's that that's actually in line with who He is and His character, and not just with you know what we can conjure up. Um, and, and that might sound a little abstract to, to, to start with but what I mean is um, I think it's good news because there's something outside of us that is directing our plans directing the world directing the universe to a good end um, and if it if, if, if we were dealing with a God who was capricious if we were dealing with a God who's all-powerful all-knowing ever present but not perfectly holy not not perfectly good then it's not good news. We right. are fearful. We should hide. We should run to caves. We should eat, drink, and be merry. Right. But because we have a God who's perfect in his goodness, perfect in his love, perfect in his holiness, perfect in his justice, and perfect in his wrath, we can trust him. And we can trust his plan for us. We can trust his plan for the world. We can trust that it's a good one. Right. That, that you know, if I'm looking at the world right now and going, hey, my, my, my future, my hope is set on human reasoning human efforts, human political systems. Just look at the world right now and what kind of hope is that? And so his holiness is good news that it's outside of us. It's different than us. And it is about his name and his ultimate glory. And that's really good news for us.
0: Yeah. His holiness, you know, going back to this idea of devotedness or consistency. Yeah. Means that God is always consistent. Right. In all of his attributes. There, there is no wavering. There, there is no inconsistency there, and so he's, he's consistent in his, uh, in his justice. Mm-hmm. It's always consistent with his, uh, with his own character. Um, he's holy in his justice, and so um, it's, it's always fair. God always does what is good, right, and, and, and perfect. But it also means he's consistent in his promises. If God says something, he follows through. And so, part of the reason why I think God's holiness is is good news ultimately is because God in his freedom has chosen to impose upon himself covenant promises to his creatures and he's going to be faithful to those. So that's good news because there is no shadow of turning with God. If he, if he says it, he's going to do it Um, and he's going to follow through because he's devoted to his name. He's, de- he's devoted to who he is. And so um, that's an anchor for us. Mm-hmm. Um, no one else, nothing else can we bank on. Amen. You yeah. know, but the holiness of God. You said in your sermon something that I think is really important. Um, I'm probably not going to get this just right. Right. I think you were quoting Vic Gordon, and he said something along the lines of, we have to decide. If we're going to tell God who He is, mm-hmm. or if we're going to let Him tell us who He is, yeah, I thought that was a really important quote. Um, let's flesh that out a little bit. As it comes to our engagement with the scriptures, um, I think we're really tempted sometimes to impose um, our own definitions on God. Um, why is it important? that yeah. we don't do that, what does it look like to let God tell us who he is?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think this is one of the key conversations for the church in America right now, and the church in, church in the West maybe in general. Um, and, and just so I he would want me to get that quote right, uh, Vic is quoting his seminary professor there. I think his name's Jeff Bromley, who's a famous New Testament um, scholar at Fuller and uh yeah this watershed question of our faith are we going to tell god who he is or, or are we going to let god tell us who he is and really we're talking about revelation there in some sense the word like how um what we're going to do with with um god's revelation of himself and you know I, another pastor friend in town this week said yeah um god made us in his image and we like to return the favor mm. so part of here is is like this idea of holiness right like Part of the question here is, is, is God just a bigger, better version of ourselves? Um, or, or or is that what we're conjuring up? Or or is God something completely different that that we just have to receive who he is, right? right. And I think this is really important when you're going to the scriptures because the scriptures have some challenging places in them, right? right. Um, we talked about it. It's not just the Old Testament. Sometimes we like to pinpoint the Old Testament, but there's some challenging things in the New Testament. And, and I brought up, you know, one of those texts – Yesterday, John six, John says, uh, or Jesus says, you know, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and and this large group of disciples walks away from him because it's a hard and confusing right. teaching.
0: I think about Acts five, Ananias right. and Sapphira, right? They, you know, they lie about the gift that they bring to the apostles, and Peter basically says, "You've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God." Yeah, and they fall down dead. Yeah, I mean that's. New Testament, man, that's that's a confounding text. So I think the conversation starts with
1: revelation, meaning has God revealed himself? Because the reality is if we are created beings, we can only know our creator if he chooses to reveal himself to us. Right. And so we believe as Christians that God has revealed himself perfectly in the person of Jesus, and then for us in these inspired books of the Bible um, that record really the whole story of the world and specifically the story of Jesus and so um, if God is real uh, it, it, it if he's real and if he has revealed himself then our job is to receive that revelation and to follow him in it right um you know we are acting as creator we're trying to put ourselves in place of creator when we say I'm going to define who God is yeah
0: I'm gonna edit the text. I don't like this portion of it, so I'm gonna ignore it or pretend like it's not there or try to try to make it fit the box, you know, that that I'm more comfortable with in yeah. terms of how we're thinking about God, um, versus letting it breathe. I, I think about I think it was Spurgeon. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said when we come to these places in scripture, whether it's like a seeming paradox or just, you know, kind of the passage we encountered yesterday in Second Samuel 6, that when we come to these places, instead of trying to fully understand it or uh, explain it away or, or make it fit our paradigm, that we should just build an altar there and worship. Yeah. So,
1: so one practical example of this right now that's really big in, in, in you know, our discussions in the American church, and I was talking to a pastor friend in town, Morgan Burns, about this this week, is justice is a big idea right now. Um, you know, for lots of reasons in the conversations of race and con- conversations of gender and sexuality and conversations of just the political system that we have in our country. Justice is a big conversation and let's be really clear. God is a God of justice. I'm reading through Isaiah right now and, and his heart is for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the fatherless. That's real. Um, But, but one of the places where maybe this, this kind of comes into this conversation is, is if for a lot of us, we, We like that God of justice, but when the same God says, "Also, you're sinful and under my judgment and will be judged," unless, you know, there's an intervention, unless there's a mediator who is Jesus, right? We know this to be Jesus. Unless you're covered, um, or someone pays for your sin, pays for uh, you know the just wrath that's coming to you. So, so that's one of the examples where. You know, someone might really like the God of justice, who cares about the poor, the oppressed, the fatherless, and the widow. Amen. That's true. It's really scriptural. But they might struggle with the God who is just and says, "You will be judged for your sin." Right. But we can't have one without the other. Right. It's the same God, and so say, that's you, part you could of almost
0: flip it. There's an uh, there's a whole other group that goes, "Man, you know, I believe I believe in the gospel in the sure. sense of like the need for an individual to repent of." his or her mm-hmm. sins and place their faith in Jesus to be counted as righteous before a Holy God. Um, but oftentimes really struggles with this idea of systemic injustice. Right. And, and yeah, the, the God of the Bible is saying I'm consistently, you know, just, yes. um, and righteous. And and both of these are true and we have to hold both. And I think those sorts of, those sorts of tensions, um, manifest everywhere in the Bible mm-hmm. and we feel the tension because we put ourselves into a political camp or we, right, you know, associate ourselves with a certain group. And, and these are some of the tensions we're being invited to live into as we encounter the real God of the Bible. Um, right. And, and he doesn't fit a political agenda and sure. he doesn't, you know, he, he's not, he just, he's going to break those paradigms. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's Tim Keller. Uh, you know, we quote him, Probably too often in our church, but it's Tim Keller who talks about right. You read some passages in the Bible into the modern mind, they sound really conservative, and you read some passages in the Bible into the modern mind, they sound really liberal. And it's because God transcends these modern ideas, political ideas about what is conservative or liberal, right? Um, and 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 that's even part of it the struggle we need to wrestle with Do we embrace all of who God has revealed himself to be in the scriptures, whether they align with um, a certain group I'm a part of, a certain party I vote for or whatever it might be. Am am I willing to receive all
0: of God and how he's revealed himself? Let God be God. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. Well, maybe this is a good place to end then. Um, Brett, give us some advice when we come to one of these texts that just confounds us when, when we come to a place in the scriptures where we're going man this is this is breaking the paradigm like this this is hard I, I don't understand um, this makes me scratch my head do you have some advice for just what do we do what's our response in those moments um, how do we try to work through it yeah, this is a helpful question or, or, or a, an
1: important question. You know, for us as a church, and, and Andy, we talk about this a lot, it, it begins with the person of Jesus, right? It, ble- it begins with the resurrection, yep. right? Because our faith really in First in Corinthians 15 tells us this, stands or falls on the resurrection. Did this really happen? Right. And, you know, almost most every historian today would say that a person named Jesus of lived. Yep. Um but, you know, whether he, they believe he is the son of God or not. So it starts there. Like, if you believe that Jesus really is the son of God, that he really raised from the dead, then you have to take what he said seriously. Yep. And and he doesn't actually come in and say, hey, you, you don't have to listen to this Old Testament anymore, um, these old parts of the Bible. He actually says, I came to fulfill them, not to abolish them. Um, actually, he affirms them and, and, and maybe even emphasizes them more.
0: Yeah, pretty consistently. He says, haven't you read? Yeah, or was it was it not written? Like, yeah. he appeals to the Old Testament as an authority, and as much as he disagreed with the Pharisees, constantly agreed with them about the the authority, yeah, of the Scriptures. Yeah, so
1: the New Testament affirms, and I, I'm again, we've said this is true. The New Testament. Well, I'm bringing up the Old Testament because a lot of our problematic texts that people have issues with are in the Old Testament. Right. The New Testament far and away reaffirms. The authority and the validity of the Old Testament, so you have to deal with that. Yep. Jesus and Paul, that this was their Bible, right? So uh, we can't throw it out. And you know, there's, 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 I said there's really one or two responses, and, and I, th- I still think this is true. Um, we can either find a text that's hard and go, well, I don't want anything to do with a God like that, and that's what David does in some ways, in Second Samuel six, or we can go. I've come to believe, like Peter, that you're the son of God, the risen son of God. Yep. You have the words of eternal life and hope. Where else would I go? Right. So I may wrestle with the text I'm reading, but I can't just throw it out. Yep. I can't just say, well, I don't have to do anything with this. Yep. I that's have to a, let God press me into it.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think that's really good. Uh, just a couple, just real practical, maybe mm-hmm. interpretive lenses um, for me when I come to a hard text like that, um, I beeline for the cross. Like, so my first move is just gonna be whatever I'm finding here, it can't be that God doesn't love right me because he's demonstrated his love. Um, it can't be that God doesn't love the world because he sent his son mm-hmm. as a savior of the world. So whatever else, you know, may be true that has to be true and that's a great starting place for me kind of working backward from what is the what is the the incarnation the life the this the sacrifice the resurrection of Jesus yeah how does that inform that's kind of what you're saying here right. we start with the resurrection we work backwards how does that inform how I read this text? Mm-hmm. And then I think another thing that's just helpful is like, what has God made explicitly clear? How has He very, very clearly revealed Himself? Mm-hmm. And to begin to put some of those blocks in place to go, man, these are guardrails. So however else I try to make sense of this, man, God's made some things really clear. Yeah. And so let's let's work work out from what's really obvious and there still may be some places there will be some places <laughs> yeah, um, where we still scratch our heads right and that's okay right I mean we believe in a God who's transcendent and in so other and yeah. so above us that of course of course there are places in his revelation where we go Man, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. But I think if we start there and work out then we go Man, this actually creates an opportunity for me to worship. Yeah. Instead of reacting in fear or imposing our man-made you know definitions on God.
1: Yeah, and the last thing I'd just say there I think to your point on worship is I would just say pray. Yeah. And trust the Holy Spirit in you like you know, especially to my friends who, who maybe struggle with, um, who have logical minds and struggle with some of the passages. I have lots of friends who struggle with some things in the, old, in, in the Bible or just a natural skeptic, and I can be that way sometimes. You come to a place and you see this seems contradictory. These numbers, like this number of people seems way too large in the Old Testament or this doesn't seem like the God I know. I don't know if there's a more faithful prayer that you could pray than to say, God, I don't understand what this text is saying. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem like you to me. But I trust that this is your word and would you help me receive what you want me to receive? Yeah,
0: that's good. Uh, yeah, that's good. Well, man, thanks for bringing the heat yesterday. I think it was a really important message and I heard from multiple people our city group was uh even chatting about it while we were watching the Chiefs win the Super Bowl last night. Um, I think it was an impactful message and a needed one. So, man, thanks for bringing the word and thanks for, uh, this conversation, man. It's been good. Praise God. All right. We'll see you soon. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card there. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you.